بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار uh, so this is the fifth lesson lesson number 5 in our series on the methodology of the quran in establishing the tawhid of allah azza wa jal and in particular the arguments of reason which the quran employs in order to guide people to the tawhid of allah or first of all in his belief in him having iman in allah which to begin with is fitri and daruri it is uh, innate it is necessary and to establish rational evidences for that as well and then to establish that he is one lord that he is one rabb and that he alone is unique in certain actions the actions which are the actions of rububiyyah like creating and owning and sustaining meaning providing and giving life and taking life and guiding and misguiding and so on and so forth that he is unique and so in the previous lesson in the fourth lesson we looked at uh, the evidence in the quran to establish that there can only be one lord there can only be one creator and so there were three verses in particular that we looked at two of them uh, were in the context of establishing allah's uluhiyah meaning his sole right to be worshiped alone but by inclusion they are also an evidence for allah's rububiyah that he is one lord and the third ayah that we looked at the third ayah in particular uh, that was more directly related to the issue of allah's rububiyah and in that ayah that we that we discussed in surah al-mu'minun uh, allah zujul he basically says that Uh, that there is no deity alongside Allah there is no ilah which incorporates rabb as well in the, in the context of this verse because if there was then every deity would have taken what it created and some of them would have tried to gain domination over others and so this would entail uh, a corruption in in the creation right chaos in the creation which we do not see rather we see complete harmony complete coherence everything runs with precision and there is no conflict or flaw anywhere that we see and therefore this is an evidence that can that there can be no other deities alongside allah and no other lords alongside allah so we looked at that in some detail in the previous lesson so at that point in the series we came so we started with the fitra and belief in allah being innate 
And we looked at evidences for that in the beginning of the series. Then we looked at the rational evidences for Allah's creation, uh, for Allah's creation of the creation, that He created the creation and that He is its creator and, and its Lord and that by necessity there must be a creator and how the Qur'an argues for that. And the way of the Qur'an is simply to take created entities and through them to point to the creator but to do it in four or five different ways. Firstly, from the aspect of a thing being created. Like this bottle, for example, you know, we can argue for the existence of it, of, of, of the person or the group behind it. First of all, the, the fact that it's just there, that in itself is an evidence of its maker. And secondly, from the angle, this is from Al-Khalq, Wal-Ikhtira. Secondly, from the angle of Al-Inaya, which means the actual... Um, uh, you know, the, 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 the concern of the person who made it, what he was trying to do for the person who's going to benefit from it, right? To, you know, uh, provide a means of transport of clean, pure water in uh, a glass bottle that doesn't leach any harmful uh, uh, chemicals into the water and, you know, so on and so forth, right? There's, these are considerations behind the one who made it. Thirdly, from the angle of precision. Fourthly, from, from, from the angle of tashkhir, which is sub- subjection, that's subjected for your, for your use. And fifthly, from the angle of takhsis, that it has a specific form and a specific way that it's being done. So all of these considerations, you just take one entity, one item, uh, and, and from this we can deduce many things from the person who made it, right? It indicates its maker in four or five different ways. So in the same way, when we look at the creation of Allah and we look at all of the entities which Allah has created, we see that collectively they all indicate Allah, His existence, in a manner that is just absolutely un- undeniable. Right? There's, there's no doubting, that there's no shak about the originator of the heavens and the earth. So we looked at that in the second and third lessons, and, and from that we basically came, and we illustrated that with some speech from Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, and some other uh, citations. This then led us to the previous lesson that once we've now established that there must be a creator, now we have three things that follow from that. First of all, proof, the Quranic proof, that there is only one Lord who is singled out with the actions of Lordship, with the actions of Rububiyyah. Right? And we looked at that in the previous lesson. And so today's lesson, which is the fifth part in the series, is now looking at evidences for the perfection of this creator that we've established. His perfection. And secondly, him being free from any deficiencies and shortcomings. So in, in, in a nutshell, Al-Kamal wa Tanzih. Al-Kamal is perfection. What are the evidences for the perfection of Allah? Al-Kamal and Al-Tanzih, which is uh, Allah Allah being free and uh, devoid of any shortcomings and imperfections. So, We'll begin then, so we're going to look at a number of evidences uh, for each of these two things. We're going to start with Al-Kamal and then look at At-Tanzih towards the end. So the first point that we want to begin with is, when we look in the Qur'an, we see that the Qur'an has established (coughs) uh, rational evidences to prove his perfection in his names and his attributes, obviously. 
and the fact there is, that there is no deficiency, there is no shortcoming that can be ascribed to him. And this is frequent and abundant in the Qur'an. It is plentiful in the Qur'an. So what we are going to discuss in this lesson is just to give a few illustrations, uh, a few illustrations of the various ways in which this is done. And before we proceed, we should understand a general principle that is mentioned by uh, the imams of the sunnah and the scholars of Ahlul Sunnah, which is that in the Qur'an we find a specific methodology in which Allah speaks about himself. Which is that when it comes to affirming things for himself, it is done in a very specific sense. Right? So affirmation, al-ithbat, al-ithbat, is done in a detailed sense, in a specific sense. What does this mean? It means, for example... Allah has mentioned names, plentiful names, and plentiful of his attributes, and likewise his actions. These are all, are all affirmed in a specific sense. So he has told us that he is Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Al-Malik, Al-Qudus, Al-Salam, Al-Mu'min, Al-Muhaymin, that he has knowledge, wisdom, mercy, that he guides, that he forgives, that he creates. Right? All of these now are positive, they, they are affirmations. And this is how we acquire knowledge of a thing, of a thing or of a being that we come to know of its attributes in, in a detailed sense. So this is the first thing. And the second thing is that whenever Allah negates from Himself, whenever He negates from Himself, this negation is always done in a general sense. It's done in a general sense. And we'll look at some evidences of that a bit later on. Unless there is a specific thing that needs to be negated, because of a claim that is made. Right? So for example, the Christians say that Allah has a son. So Allah will deny, make that denial and that negation. Why? Because a specific claim now has been made. Right? So what we find in the Quran that as a general rule, all negation, whatever Allah negates from Himself, He will always negate deficiencies from Himself in a general sense. Unless there is a specific reason to negate in a specific sense. Right? And this is in keeping with you know, what Shaykh al-Islam mentions, which is that if you were to describe someone in just negatives, it doesn't really imply any praise. Right? So if we said, Allah is not blind, Allah is not deaf, Allah is not, uh, does not, um, you know, is not unjust. And we went on and making all these negations. And all of our speech was just negations. This really doesn't, it doesn't involve praise of Allah Azza wa Jal. Right? It doesn't involve praise of Allah Azza wa Jal. We're just making negations. Whereas if we say Allah is all-knowing, all-hearing, the ever-living, the, 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 the wise, the just, and so on and so forth, this now, a person knows that this is praise of Allah Azza wa Jal. And a person wants to worship a deity which is like this. So this is what we begin, this is a first principle that we should be aware of, which is that in the Qur'an, this is what the Qur'an has come with. Right? And this opposes the way of many nations in the past who deviated and went astray, like for example the Sabi'ah, the Sabaeans, the star worshippers, who were affected by Greek philosophy, and they arrived at a system whereby they described Allah only in negatives. 
right? He's not unjust, he's not blind, he's not deaf, he's not this, he's not that. Just purely negatives. And this theology is something that entered into Islam, which was brought into Islam by way of the Jahmiyyah, and then the Mu'tazila, and it was carried through to the Qullabiyya, Ash'ariyya, Maturidiyya, they were influenced and affected by this, by this theology. So the point being, that as a general principle, first of all, before we embark, this is what we find in the Qur'an. Affirmation, al-ithbat, is done in specific, and negation, al-nafi, is done in general, in a general sense, unless there is a specific reason to make a specific negation from Allah So, we're going to now look at evidences for the perfection of Allah, al-kamal, and basically there are three different ways that we see in the Qur'an how this is done. There are three different ways, and we're going to cover those ways one by one. So the first of those three ways which indicate the perfection of Allah Azawajal is the, what we see of the actions of Allah in His creation. Af'alullah. These are the, uh, the athar, the remnants or the effects that we can clearly see of the actions of Allah, meaning Allah's handiwork in His creation. And what this means is that when we reflect upon the creation of Allah Azawajal, and what he has created, and, and things that we see around us all the time, like for example, bringing something to life, right? bringing the earth to life, or causing something to die or someone to die, or you know, uh, pr- uh, giving provision to different categories of beings, raising some people, lowering other people, sending the rain down, destroying a nation, or making a nation, a nation rise, right? Uh, honoring the righteous people, debasing the sinful and disobedient people, and so on and so forth. All of these things, we see that these are things that are taking place all around us. And so, all of these things that are taking place around us, they indicate to us, the, they can indicate to us of some of the attributes of the one who is behind these actions, like for example his qudra, his power, his ability, like for example his wisdom, right? the wisdom behind the things that take place, likewise his mercy, his knowledge. So this is what we are speaking of, like in a general sense, this is what we mean. That we look at Allah's handiwork in the creation, we see the effects and the remnants of his handiwork, and all the things taking place around us, and from that we can derive evidence for the perfection of Allah Now in the Qur'an, this is plentiful in the Qur'an. Why? Because the actions of Allah, uh, we can't measure the actions of Allah. And so the evidence for this is plentiful in the Qur'an. However, what we'll do is we'll just give a few examples to illustrate how Allah is you know, appealing to a person's reason to make them understand His perfection. So, first example is the example of knowledge, ilm. That Allah has ilm and He is perfect in His ilm. Alright? So, the ayah in question, which is an evidence for this, is in Surah Mulk, Surah Al-Mulk, uh, verses 13 and 14. Uh, Alright? 
Allah he says, and whether you conceal your speech or you make it open, then indeed he is knower of what is in the hearts. Should he not know who created? And he is Al-Latif, Al-Khabir, the subtle, the, 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 the aware, the informed. So here is, here is the shahid in the ayah, the part which is the evidence. Ala يَعْلَمُ man خَلَقَ Should he not know who created? Right? So this is now appealing to reason. And it's explaining the perfect knowledge of Allah of what he created. Right? And this is something that we all know from our experience, from our experience in the life of this world, that anyone who, you know, when he creates some, something, before he creates, there must be something that comes before it, which is, which is knowledge. There must be irada, there must be a person choosing to create something. And when he chooses to create something, that must be preceded by knowledge. And that knowledge, and you know, uh, must be such that it allows him to create what he desires with proficiency. So, this verse is indicating a number of things. There's a number of lines of reasoning in this verse. The first line is that when we look at creation itself, what is creation? It is something that must be preceded by some prior uh, determination. Like to give an example... Uh, which the scholars uh, give. When a tailor, for example, when, when he wants to make a garment, then before he makes the garment, he knows the material, he knows the measurements, he knows the types of uh, fin- finishing, the types of stitches he's going to make. All of that is a prior, is prior estimation, right? Which obviously entails ilm and so on and so forth. So, that Allah is the creator, entails that he must have knowledge, right? This is one line of reasoning from that verse. Secondly, that also that that, that that creation, when you create something, it requires that you, like as a person, you've you've completely uh, understood everything about the thing that you are going to create, right? Before you create it. So we can give an example again also... Um, you can give an example of anything, whether it can be something manufactured, like a, a domestic appliance, whether it's an automobile, whether it's anything. You can give anything, then you know that there has to be a complete conception, like for humans in the mind, right, of, of the thing that you are going to create and the thing that it's going to do. So in a similar manner for Allah Azawajal, in His creation, Allah has complete, all-encompassing knowledge of what he created. So for example, the human, right? And how he is formed of cells and how within these cells there are very complex mechanisms and those mechanisms, within those mechanisms there are, for example, there's storage of information in the DNA and then there's... there's so, so at every level you know that Allah has complete, perfect knowledge surrounding all of that, right? Indicating that... Again, indicating the, uh, the, the the line of reasoning from this verse that Allah must have knowledge of what He created, right? So, in other words, as people discover, as the scientists discover and study the creation of Allah Azza and they find more and more amazing things, right? Whether it be about the DNA, the repair mechanisms, and you know, as, as 
however much detail you want to go to, then know that all of that is in the knowledge of Allah Because He's the Creator. Right? He knows what He created. And He has a complete ihata, uh, complete you know, uh, encompassment of everything which He created. So therefore this now is also an evidence for the perfection in Allah's knowledge. Right? That's the second line of reasoning from this verse that can be taken from this verse. The third line of reasoning is also what this indicates of al-ihkam wal-itqan, which is the, the precision right, that exists in the knowledge of Allah. There must be precision. Because when you look at the creation of Allah, you look at, at whatever level, whether you look at the sun and the moon and the calculation of their motions, whether you look at a leaf, for example, and the tree and you know, how you look at uh, underground networks of trees and how they communicate, like with information, right? This is what, what, what they're finding, that any trees in any location underneath, there's a, there's a network that develops and they all communicate with each other, right? So whatever level you want to look at, you will find that there's itqan, there's precision, and there is, you know, ihkam and itqan in the creation of Allah. And what does this indicate? This indicates the perfect knowledge. Perfect knowledge of Allah Azawajal. So, um, so all of this are three or four lines of evidence from this verse itself, which indicates the attribute of ilm, but also the perfection in the attribute of ilm. This is one example. A second example, also sticking with the attribute of knowledge, is an interesting verse in the Quran, which the scholars have commented on, like Ibn, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah and others, is, is the verse dealing with the Kaaba. So in this ayah in Surah Al-Ma'idah, Allah Azawajal says, جَعَلَ اللَّهُ الْكَعَبَةَ الْبَيْتَ الْحَرَامِ قِيَامًا لِلنَّاسِ وَالشَّحْرَ الْحَرَامِ وَالْحَدْيَةِ وَالْقَلَائِدِ ذَلِكَ لِتَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ يَعْلَمُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ عَلِيمٍ Allah made the Kaaba as the, uh, which is the sanctified house, as a place for the people, as a place where the people are established. Qiyaman linnas. And then it continues, and towards the, 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 the end of the verse, Allah says, ذَلِكَ لِتَعْلَمُوا This in order that you may know, that you may have knowledge, that Allah knows what is in the heavens and the earth, and that Allah has knowledge of everything. So the question now arises, what's the connection now between making the Kaaba? as a place where people come and gather and are established, how is that now an, in, an indication to us that we realize that Allah is the knower of all things? Right? What's the connection between the two? Because that's clearly what the verse is saying. And so historically some people, they try to criticize this verse like the people of rationalities and as, as they claim and so on and so forth. And... Ibn Qutayba, rahimahullah, one of the, the scholars from among the Salaf, he has a book called Ta'wil uh, Mushkil al-Qur'an, uh, which is basically an explanation of the difficult passages of the Qur'an, where he rebuts these claims that were coming from people like the Mu'tazila and people like that, the Jahmiyyah. So, we'll come to his speech in, in, a, in a short moment. But basically, uh, the general indication of this verse is that when you look at the Kaaba and how at the very beginning Allah he ordered Ibrahim al-Islam to make this Kaaba and 
after the Kaaba was made, then he gave the command for people to come and take it as a masjid. And then after that, and in that time, Makkah was very, it wasn't really inhabited. There was a very small number of people. Then he ordered for Hajj to be made at the Kaaba. Then he made it to be a sanctified place, a place which is inviolable, right? A place where property has to be respected, life has to be respected, and so on and so forth. And people can come and they feel safe and they feel secure. And then he made it to a place where the, you know, the sacrificial uh, animals are brought. And eventually it came a place where people could come feeling safe and secure until the time that Islam came. And then when Islam came, there was already a nation already present. And so the, so the, the point being made here is that from Allah's foreknowledge, prior foreknowledge, knowing that he's going to send a messenger, right? He ordered that this place here, a masjid be erected, then it be made a place to people where people travel to, then he made it a sanctified place, and he made it a place of pilgrimage, because at some time in the future, Allah from his knowledge, is that there is going to be an ummah, a nation, amongst the nations, to whom a messenger is going to be sent, right? And that... So, so this is the general line of, of you know, the, 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 the meaning of the ayah. This is where it's coming from. So we see Ibn Qutayba, rahimahullah, in relation to this, he says, the translation of his words, in, in, uh, roughly in meaning, that the explanation of this is that the people of Jahiliyyah used to, they used to fight each other, used to kill each other, and they would take wealth without any due right, and they would make people scared of traveling. And sometimes a man would be full of revenge that for the death of one, for the killing of one person in his family or tribe, he'd go and kill five or ten people, three, four other people, five other people. This was just a, basically the way that they were, were upon. And so people would be excessive in, 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 in killing. So Allah Zawajal, he made the Kaaba as a sanctified house and he made it a place where people could come and they would feel secure. And if a person feared for himself, he would seek refuge around the Kaaba. He would travel from his place and come and establish himself near the Kaaba in Makkah. Right? If he feared from any, you know, being killed or some revenge or something like that, and he would he would come. So Allah Zawajal, He made it a place of safety. So this is the first thing. And then we see Shaykh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah adding to this as well, this meaning as well. He says, if you look at the Kaaba, and this is in his book An-Nubuwat. He says the Kaaba is simply a house made of stones in a valley which does not have any vegetation. And there is nothing really you can do there. Um, there's no gardens there. There's no reason why a person should come to this place. What is in this place? Right? There's no reason anyone should come to this place. Hardly any water, hardly any vegetation. And so Allah he made it a place where everyone would come out of humility and humbled and lowered. And he made it a place where people would aspire and come to this place. Think about it. What was there in, in, in Makkah in, in, in that valley? Nothing. <coughs> Rone, uh, uh, rocks, stones, right? Blazing heat, right? Why would someone even want to come here? So Allah chose that place because there's nothing in there that would 
that people would want to aspire for to come to that place. There's no flowing gardens, there's no rivers, there's no nothing of, of that sort, right? There's no existing civilization there, right? It's just, that's how it was. And he made it a place that people would want to aspire for. So, uh, without having any worldly motive, right? No one would have a worldly motive for going to the Kaaba or going to Mecca. So, um, so what we see from all of this is that this indicates the prior knowledge of Allah Azawajal that this place, the people would come to this place uh, at a certain point in time where there would be an ummah, a nation who would already have notions of that you know this is a sanctified place, you can't kill here, you can't do things here in, the, in this sanctified place. And so in that setting, Allah Azawajal, He raised His Messenger and from that place, when Islam spread, we see that from every location and every place in the earth now, people go to this place and they make tawaf around the Kaaba. Right? And so this in itself indicates to us the, the prior knowledge of Allah, the foreknowledge of Allah, the complete knowledge of Allah Azawajal, of His creation and what is to occur and you know, the wisdoms behind his actions, and so on and so forth. So this is now, this is the general uh, uh, explanation of, of, of this verse from the speech of Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Qutayba, and others. Uh, finally, we'll come to a third example, and this third example is the statement of Allah Azawajal in Surah Al-Rum, the 30th Surah, verse number 50, Surah Al-Rum, فَانْظُرْ إِلَىٰ آثَارِ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ Look at the effects of the mercy of Allah, how He gives life to the earth after its death. This verse actually occurs straight after when Allah He speaks about sending the rain, which then stirs, the, you know, brings the clouds, and then through the clouds become heavy and thick, and then it rains. And then he brings this rain to whomever he wants from his servants. Right? So Allah is giving this parable to show it's in the context of resurrection. Right? That you see all the time around you the earth being revived after its death. And the one who does that, he is able to resurrect you after your death as well. Right? Something that we see all around us as a proof for the possibility of resurrection. This is a proof to the disbelievers. That you will be resurrected, you can be resurrected. And an evidence for that is what you see all around you of things dying, things being dead, the earth being dead, right? Plants dying, and then Allah brings a rain, and lo and behold, you see it's revived and back to life and thriving again. Now, this ayah is really pointing to the qudra of Allah Azza wa Jal, right? Because this is the context in which it is, uh, in which it occurs. The power of Allah in having the ability to resurrect you after death, to bring you to life after death, just like He brings the earth back to life after death. However, one of the things it points is actually the mercy of Allah, the rahmah of Allah, the mercy of Allah. How is that? In that He brings the clouds, brings the rain, and delivers the rain to a people who are in need of rain. Right? So this is something that we all see, all people witness and see happening all the time. The mercy of Allah when it rains. And so this now is an evidence for the rahmah, the attribute of mercy, and also the perfection of his mercy in the sense that even a mushrik, a kafir, one who is a polytheist, 
who worships other deities besides Allah, one who is a disbeliever, then he will bring the rain to those people as well. Despite the fact that they are upon their shirk and their kufr. So this is how merciful Allah is to his creation. Okay, so these then are just three illustrations. As we said, there are many, 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 many illustrations uh, to indicate the perfection of Allah And as you read the Quran, you know, you, you'll, these things will come to you. You will see, well, okay, this ayah now is it's indicating the perfection of Allah. And this is how it's doing it. When you look at these examples, then it opens your eyes to the, the line of reasoning in the speech of Allah as to how he's, you know, making you uh, come to realize his perfection in his names and his attributes. So this now is the first of the three methods of establishing Allah's kamal which is looking at the effects of Allah's actions in the creation and how they in turn point to Allah's perfection right in his attributes in his ilm in his mercy we could even use wisdom in in his hikmah right we can look at the creation of Allah and see the wisdoms how causes are tied to their effects and you know uh, and so many different in so many different ways we can look at that we you know it's, it's it's such a huge topic that it's not possible to to go, go you know go through all the different um you know types and categories so this now leads us to the second of the ways in which allah's kamal is indicated in the quran and so this is what is known as uh, the path of at tafdil at tafdil tarjih this means that when, um, basically this means that if you think of any attribute of perfection which the creation has, then that thing which is perfection, then even more so Allah is worthy of that, right? So for example, if a human has knowledge, right, then it, it is even more so that Allah is has knowledge and is perfect in knowledge. If human, if human has justice, al-adl, he can be just. Then it is even more so that Allah should be just. Why? Because these are attributes of perfection. There's no deficiency in these attributes at all. They are attributes of pure perfection, right? To be knowing, to be just, and so on and so forth. So this is the general, general uh, idea behind this, right? And it will become clear by way of examples. So. In the Quran, Allah he alludes to this by what we call in the Quran Al-Mathalul A'la. Al-Mathalul A'la. So he says, وَلَهُ الْمَثَلُ الْأَعْلَى فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمِ To Allah belongs the loftiest example, the best example in the heavens and the earth. And He is Al-Aziz, He is the mighty, Al-Hakim, the wise. And likewise, uh, in another, another ayah, لِلَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْآخِرَةِ مَثَلُ السَّوْءِ To those who do not believe in the hereafter, there is the evil example. وَلِلَّهِ الْمَثَلُ الْأَعْلَى But to Allah belongs the best, the loftiest or the highest example. وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ And He is mighty and all-wise. Now what does it mean by this? Ibn al-Qayyim explains basically that this is al-kamal al-mutlaq. This means that in absolute terms, Allah has the loftiest example in terms of perfection. So, 
He always has the loftiest description. He always has the best, the most perfect, the most excellent type of description. So, uh, to illustrate what this means, this applies, by the way, in both negation and affirmation. Right? Now, this will become clear to you by the examples that are given. Let's look at the first example. First example is, let's look at the pagan Arabs. And you know that the pagan Arabs used to uh, consider it to be uh, a dishonor to have a female child. Right? To have a female child is something dishonorable and they would disdain female children. And however, at the same time, they would ascribe female, they would ascribe daughters to Allah in the form of the angels. Right? So they would say, as it occurs in, in, in the Quran, وَيَجْعَلُونَ لِلَّهِ الْبَنَاتِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَلَهُمَّ يَشْتَهُونَ Right, so Allah He says, they make for Allah daughters, sublime is He, yet for them is what they desire. And then the verse continues, وَإِذَا بُشِّرَ أَحَدُهُمْ بِالْأُنْثَى ظَلَّ وَجْهُهُ مُسْوَدَّ وَهُوَ كَذِيمٌ And then when one of them is informed of a female daughter, of, 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 of a daughter, of a female child, right, he, his face becomes dark and he's filled with grief. Right, so look at look at the um, look at the what they are doing. They are humiliated if they have daughters themselves, and yet they ascribe to Allah that He has daughters. Right, that the angels they made them to be daughters of Allah Azza wa Jal. So the point being here is that if you consider it to be an imperfection. To the pagan Arabs, they consider it to be an imperfection, something blameworthy, that you have a female daughter. That if you consider this an imperfection, then Allah is even more worthy of being free of what you consider to be that imperfection. Right? This is now what we call Al-Mathalul A'la. Right? That if this is something you consider evil for you, then Allah is even more worthy of being free of that evil. Right? This is, this is what we mean by Al-Mathalul A'la. A second example that we see often in the Quran where this principle is illustrated is that you see often in the Quran and the Sunnah, Allah Azza will use words which are upon the form of a tafdil, sigatul tafdil, right? Where the, the form which is, for example, al akram, al akram, wa rabbuk al akram, your Lord is the most noble. Well, uh, likewise, al a'la, sabihismu rabbik al a'la, he is the most high. And likewise, Allah, Allahu Akbar, He is the greatest. And likewise, A'lam, the most knowledgeable. Wa Abqa, the one who is everlasting, the most lasting. Wa Arhamul Rahimin, the most merciful of those who show mercy. Wa Ahkamul Hakimin, and the most wise of those who, uh, the, you know, of those who judge, who are wise. Wa Ahsanul Khaliqin, the best of those who, who create. Uh, and so on and so forth, right? So all of these examples that you see in the Quran, this is this is upon the principle of al-mathalul a'la, that he always has the loftiest, the highest example. And so these texts are very, very clear in indicating that. So that's the second way that we see that being used in the Quran. Um, a third way or a third example that can be given 
is how Allah he draws our attention to look at two things. Can they be compared or not? So for example, أَفَمَنْ يَخْلُقْ كَمَنْ لَا يَخْلُقْ أَفَلَا Is one who creates like one who does not create? Can these two be equal? Of course they're not equal. Right? So we see in the Qur'an often examples being given of two things which are clearly not equal. They cannot be equal. So, هَلْ يَسْتَوِي الَّذِينَ يَعْلَمُونَ وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Are those equal who know and those who do not know? وَمَا يَسْتَوِي الْأَعْمَى وَالْبَصِيرِ And the blind and the seeing are not alike. Right? And so on and so forth. So you see these types of verses which are basically making you realize that you know, these two things cannot be compared. This one is superior. The one was this attribute is superior. This is now a third type of example in the Quran where we see that an appeal is made to your reason to make you think, well, hang on, is the seeing equal to the blind? Is the knowing equal to the, the ignorant? Right? And so on and so forth. So therefore, the one who has these qualities cannot be like the one who does not have these qualities. This is the general uh, thing. So this now then is the second uh, or the... the um, Second type of analogy, that's right. Second type of analogy. Those verses I just mentioned. The first one is Surah Al-Nahl, Surah 16, verse 17. Second one is Surah Al-Zumr, Surah 39, uh, 30, uh, 39, verse 9. And Surah Fatir, 35, verse 19. Right? So, what we're looking at here is the use of analogies. Right? The second method is that Allah he uses analogies in the Quran. And to use analogies is something that Ibn Taymiyyah says that al-aqsiyatul uh, which means rational analogies, to make analogies of reason, right? By giving examples and parables and which you know have reason and, and rational behind them, that this was used by the Salaf of the Ummah and its Imams with respect to Allah in accordance with that which is obligatory, only with that which is obligatory. Right? So he has some speech in this, which you know you find in his book, Abiyan Talbis al-Jahmiyyah. So, so what we are discussing here, in this second method, so the first method was, using Allah's actions, and the effects of his actions, to deduce his perfection. The second method now, is analogies which are given in the Quran. Right? Analogies and parables which are given in the Quran. And they are, there are, there are basically... Uh, a number of ways how this is done. The first one is At-Tarjih wa tafdil Right? We're basically making you show the excellence of one thing over the other, which is Al-Mathalul A'la. The loftiest example. We gave you three illustrations of that. And as for the second of these methods, uh, the second of these uh, methods, it is to establish to establish um, the attribute of someone who himself put the attribute in someone else. Right? This will become clear to you when we give an example. Right? So for example, if Allah makes a human to be knowing, then shouldn't the one who made the human to be knowing himself be knowing? You understand? Right? This is the general uh, line of uh, argument here. So basically, this is that uh, the one who gives attributes of perfection to others, then 
he is more worthy of being described of those actions himself, of those attributes himself. Right? So for example, uh, Sheikh Hussam Bittemi, he says, مَنْ جَعَلَ غَيْرَهُ عَلَى صِفَةٍ مِنْ صِفَاتِ الْكَمَالِ فَهُوَ أَوْلَى بِاتِّسَافِهِ بِصِفَةِ الْكَمَالِ مِنْ مَفْعُولِهِ The one who basically makes another one upon a particular attribute of perfection, then he is more worthy of, of being described by that attribute of perfection by over and above the one whom he made. Right? And as for the attributes of imperfection, think about this now, وَأَمَّا صِفَاتِ النَّقْسِ as for the attributes of perfection, and it is not binding that the one who puts attributes of imperfection in another, that he also has those attributes of imperfection. Right? So for example, Allah is Al-Qadir. Right? But he can make human to be devoid, to have imperfect qudra. Right? We have imperfect qudra. Right? Does that mean now that the one who puts that imperfect qudra in a human, that he himself has that quality? No. So this way, it doesn't apply. But the other way, when you put an attribute of perfection, then it is, the one who put it, is even more worthy of having the attribute of perfection. Right? Is that clear? So the one who puts injustice in humans, does that mean that he's unjust? No. But the one who put uh, justice in some people, is, isn't he more worthy of being, being just? Yes. Right? So this is, the gen, this is what the general line of argument and the reasoning in this type of category of verses in the Qur'an. Let's give an example. Um, uh, this is an example given by Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. <coughs> so here, Allah Jal, he says, وَقَالُوا This is the people of... Uh, this is the people of... Uh, Ad, people of Ad. وَقَالُوا مَنْ أَشَدُّ مِنَّا قُوَّةِ أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْا أَنَّ اللَّهَ الَّذِي خَلَقَهُمْ هُوَ أَشَدُّ مِنْهُمْ قُوَّةِ In power. They said, فَأَمَّا عَادٌ فَاسْتَقْبَرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ بِغَيْرِ الْحَقَّةِ وَقَالُوا مَنْ أَشَدُّ مِنَّا قُوَّةً So as for Ad, they became arrogant upon the earth without any due right. They just become arrogant upon the land. And they said, who is more powerful than us? Who is more severe in power than us? Right? So this is now looking at nations. You see, sometimes there are nations, they think that they become arrogant, like the Romans. Thought they were the most powerful nation. What happened to the Romans? They crumbled. This is like with every nation, eventually it will crumble. And they make this boast, we are the most powerful nation. Look at our military. Right? This, this has happened in history. So the Ad were, were like this, became arrogant. Who is stronger than is upon the earth? We are the most mightiest, the most strongest, the most militarily uh, advanced and so on and so forth, according to the, to the, you know, of the time. So in response, Allah Zabjali says, أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْ أَنَّ اللَّهَ الَّذِي خَلَقَهُمْ هُوَ أَشَدُّ مِنْهُمْ قُوَّةً This is the same line of argument that we mentioned. Do they not see that Allah, the one who actually created them, He is more, severe, more intense than them in power. He is more severe than them in power, in shidda, in strength, in severity. Right? So if they considered this to be an attribute of perfection, add about themselves that we are strong and mighty and powerful, then the one who gave that to you and put that attribute in you, then he is more worthy of possessing that same attribute. Right? So this is al-mathalul a'la, al-mathalul a'la, the loftiest example. 
right? Same, the same principle is applying to all of these uh, categories. Um, so this is an illustration of, of, of this point. Um, another example that can be given here is the example from the Sunnah, which is in relation to seeing the moon. You know the ahadith which mention uh, seeing Allah and the people, you know, the companions ask, well, how will we all see Allah And so in, the, in those ahadith, we are told that uh, you will, with respect to seeing Allah, that you will, just like you see a moon on a clear night when it's full, and you do not need to like compete with each other to see the moon. Everyone can see it from wherever they are, right? In the same way, you will see Allah So the point being that if it is possible for us to see the moon without having to, you know, um, uh, without having to uh, push each other around and try to, you know, fight in order to get a view, right? Then in the same way, on Yawmul Qiyamah, then Allah Zawajal will be, will, be, will be seen in the same way. And He is someone who is greater and mightier and lofty and more majestic, right? Than the moon and anything else in the creation, right? So He's more worthy of being able to be seen without us having to compete with each other and push each other out of the way in order to see Him. He's, he's greater and more worthy than He should be seen like that. Right, so this is another example of al mathalul a'la. To him belongs the loftiest example. This is the meaning of those verses where you read walillahi al-mathalul a'la. Right, to him always belongs the loftiest example. Now, this brings us to the third type of analogy that we find in the Quran, and this one now is when Allah Zawjal He affirms for Himself. An attribute of perfection by denying its opposite, which is a shortcoming, right? So by denying a shortcoming is affirming an opposite, right? The opposite, which is perfection. So uh, this means, for example, that if Allah is, if he's not described with life, then he must be described with death. So... Allah he negates from himself death and sleep and things like that. And from that, it indicates the opposite, which is perfection. Right? So this is the general, uh, uh, you know, the general uh, point here. So to give some examples of this, which indicate his perfection in his names, his attributes, his rububiya, his uluhiya. An example here is, uh, speaking about, uh, this is... Uh, uh, people of Musa alayhi salam when they built the the car the you know the, the calf and they worshipped it. أَفَلَا يَرَوْنَ أَلَّا يَرْجِعُ إِلَيْهِمْ قَوْلًا وَلَا يَمْلِكُ لَهُمْ ضَرًّا وَلَا نَفْعًا Do they not see that this thing that they are worshipping that it cannot return any speech to them? It is mute. It cannot speak, and nor does it have any control over harm or benefit. Right. So here. These people are being criticized for their foolish intellect because they're being told, look at this thing that you are worshipping. Don't you see that it can't even return speech to you? And it has no control over, or over harm or benefit? And something like that cannot be worthy of being a deity. Which in turn means that the true deity, therefore, must be one who can speak. 
He has speech. He's able to return speech. And he has power over harm and benefit. Right? So by negating something, Allah is affirming the opposite which is perfection. So to, again, this is, this is a method that we see in uh, the Qur'an. Uh, another example is the, the Dajjal who is one-eyed. You know the famous uh, hadith that indeed, uh, uh, you know, indeed Allah, inna Allah la yakhfa alaykum, inna Allah laysa bi'a'war, wa inna al-masiha al-dajjal a'waru al-ayn al-yumna. Indeed, your Lord, nothing is hidden from him. You are not hidden from him. Indeed, he's, your Lord is not one-eyed. But indeed, the Dajjal, he is one-eyed in his, in, you know, in, uh, in, his, in, his, in his right. So again, negating imperfection and implying the opposite. Uh, another example, uh, uh, we'll finish with this example, is an example which illustrates the ulu of Allah Azza wa Jal. Right? The Allah is lofty and above. Now look at this ayah. Think about this ayah. This is in Surah Al-Anbiya 21 verse 21. In this ayah Allah says, Have they taken deities from the earth? From the earth. That they themselves, they, you know, they bring about. Right? In this ayah, he said, deities min al-ard, from the earth. And the earth is something that is low. It is beneath the heavens. It is the lowest place beneath the, beneath the heavens. Like beneath the heavens, it's the lowest. Then you, first heaven, second heaven, whatever. So this is now a hint at that Allah Zawajal, that he is lofty and above the seven heavens. And which one is more worthy of being taken as a deity? A deity upon the earth, which is low, low down, humbled, or the deity which is above the seven heavens. This is, this is the hint, the, the indication of the ayah. Right? So it's belittling these deities, which are deities which are taken from the earth, which are lowly. Right? Yet Allah is lofty and above and majestic. This is a proof for the ulu of Allah Azawajal. So can you see how there's a number of things going on in, in the ayah? That Allah establishes Allah's ulu. Secondly, it is a belittlement of these deities. How can you take deities from a lowly place such as the earth? Right? And also, the, the loftiest example, that, the, that Allah is most worthy of being taken is it. Why? Because He is above the heaven, above everything, above His throne, above His arsh. Right? So, this is another example of how you criticize something, intending by that to affirm its opposite. Right? So, these deities are lowly. Yet Allah is above and lofty above His throne. Right? So, uh, so uh, indicating perfection in this manner. So Allah's perfection is that He is above. He is Al-A'la. He is above everything. And so on and so forth. Right, so this now concludes our discussion of the ways and methods of Al-Kamal in the Qur'an. We establish from them. There are three ways that we use. First of all, we use Allah's, the effects that we see of Allah's actions all around us. Right to deduce his perfection in his names and attributes, and we gave a number of examples of that. Number two is the use of al qiyas, right? Analogies, and here we introduce the, the, the notion of al mathalul a'la, the loftiest example, the highest example, the best example, and this is done in a number of ways. Number one, at tafdil, right? At tarjih wa tafdil. Secondly, 
is by way of when Allah he puts a quality of perfection in something and he is more worthy of having that quality. And vice versa, that if Allah puts deficiencies in people, then it's not implied that he also has those deficiencies. Rather, he's free of those deficiencies. Why? Because he creates for wisdoms and, and so on and so forth. And the third type is by negating an imperfection and implying by that it's opposite. Right? So many examples of this in the Quran. Allah negates that he sleeps. Allah negates that he dies. Implying his ever living and most powerful and so on and so forth. Uh, so that was the first half, Al-Kamal. Now we're going to move to At-Tanzih, which is the how does Allah Zawajal, how does he negate from himself deficiencies and shortcomings. And so this is done in two ways. The first of those two ways is At-Tanzih an al-Aib wa-Naqs uh, and, and, uh, which is Allah freeing himself from anything which is an aib, which is a fault, or something which is a shortcoming, or which opposes perfection. Now, let's just speak generally. So in the Qur'an, let's illustrate this from the Qur'an in, in very quickly in a, in a general sense. For example, in the Qur'an, Allah he establishes his qudra, his perfect qudra, by what? By denying that he becomes tired, that he becomes weary, that, you know, that by denying that he's incapable. Right, so there's numerous ayat in which Allah denies these things. So the opposite is implied that He has is perfect in His qudra. Another example, the attribute of al of life. Right, Allah He denies for Himself nom, like in Ayatul Kursi, and likewise which is sleep, and likewise tiredness, and likewise death, and likewise al ghafla, which is being heedless, that He's not, you know, He's not heedless. And all those things which are actually connected to uh, you know, the, the opposite of perfect life. So Allah denies all of those things from Himself. They imply His perfect life. right? Likewise, with respect to His knowledge, Allah negates from Himself forgetfulness and ignorance. And so they in turn, they indicate His perfect knowledge. And likewise, He denies from Himself things which indicate that He is uh, Al-Ghani, that he is not in need of anything. For example, he denies from himself food, doesn't need food, nor does he need drink, nor does he have a partner, a spouse, nor does he have a child, right? All these things now are negating what? Things which prove the opposite that Allah is Al-Ghani. He's free of any needs, free of all wants, right? So this is the general notion here, that, that by negating shortcomings, uh, blameworthy things, that they indicate the actual uh, opposite. So all of this is connected. Um, so here, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah ta'ala, uh, he indicates again that we see the same things being used, uh, the qiyasul awla, al-mathal al-a'la, in this example here of denying uh, false and, and so on and so forth. So Ibn Taymiyyah says here that we find in the Qur'an, he says that he's al-akram, Al-Akbar, Al-A'la, he's Arhamur Rahimin, he is the Khairul Hakimin, Khairul Ghafirin, Ahsanul Khaliqin. We heard these terms earlier. And so the, so the point being that every perfection that the creation has, Allah is more worthy of it, and every deficiency that the creation has, then the Creator is even more worthy of being free 
and you know free of that. So this is now just the general principle. Now let's give the specific examples of this in the Quran. First example that Allah negates from Himself is having a son and a spouse. A son and a spouse. This is clear. We see the Nasara, the Christians, they said that Allah has a son. And some of the Yahud, they said that as well. Uzair is the son of Allah, they said. Subhanahu wa ta'ala amma yaqulun uluwan kabira. Lofty and sublime is Allah with a lofty exaltation above what they say. So here is Allah negating from Himself something specific that has been attributed to Him. Remember we said that negation is general unless there's a specific reason for it, for that negation to be made. So the Christian said that Allah has a son. Allah negates that. The pagan Arab said that Allah has daughters. So Allah he negated that, right? By way of Al-Qiyas Al-Awla, Al-Mathal Al-A'la, that if you consider having daughters something humiliating and, and, and you know, belittling, then Allah is more worthy than that he shouldn't have daughters, right? By, by that method. So this is the first example. This is clear to everybody. Uh, uh, Indeed, by the, the lie that they have told, they are saying that Allah gave birth. Allah gave birth. And indeed, they are lies. They are lies. Surah Safat, Surah 37, verse 151 onwards. Um, so, from this you can see why is a son negated? Because it clashes with many things which are attributes of perfection. Right? For example, number one, uh, Allah is, is Al-Ghani. He's not in need of any son. Right? So it clashes with that. So by negating a son, it means Allah is free of need of a son. Al-Ghani. Right? That's one line of reasoning there. Number two, it negates Allah's Ahadiyya and Samadiyya. Right? He's Al-Ahad and he is As-Samad. And so, uh, we see the Hadith uh, Qudsi in which Allah says, Indeed, the son of Adam has belied me and he's reviled me. And it mentions at the uh, end of the, 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 the hadith that as for him reviling me, he said that Allah took a son. But I am al-Ahad, as-Samad. I never, I, I'm neither given birth to, nor did I give birth. Nor is there any equal uh, to me. Right? So that attributing a son negates that. So by negating a son, Allah establishes his, his al-Ahadiyah and as-Samadiyah. Likewise, um, it is impossible for Allah to give birth. He does not give birth. Right? Because this is, this is denied and negated. Likewise, as Ibn Taymiyyah mentions, that giving birth only arises from two. It needs two to give birth. Right? So this would mean Allah would have to have a spouse. But Allah Azzawajal, He negated this. He said in the Quran, How can He have a son when He has no spouse? Right? So this is negated as well. So can you see from multiple angles, by the negation of a son, these other things or these other perfections are implied. Right? His being al-ghani, free of any need. His being uh, al-ahad and as-samad. And likewise, uh, negation of a spouse, because a spouse is needed for, for you know, offspring. So all of these things are negated uh, from Allah Zajal. Uh, and they prove the opposite, right? They prove the opposite. 
Also, from the second way that is negated, so this is the first thing negated, Al-Walad uh, Wasahiba. Second thing which is negated is that Allah, He indwells in His creation. Al-Hulul. Right? That Allah indwells in His creation. This clearly we can see that Allah Zawajal in many ayat in the Quran, that He is Al-A'la, uh, that He is Al-Qahir, Fawqa Ibadih, that He made Istawa above the Arsh. This is a refutation of the Jahmiyyah who say Allah merges in the creation, He's within the creation. Right? And then the scholars, they bring, bring rational arguments as well, like Imam Ahmed does. Right? He said to the Jahmiyyah, when Allah created the creation, did He create it outside of Himself or within Himself? Right? So there's a question to the Jahmiyyah when He created the creation. Did He create it and then enter it? Or did He create it within Himself? Right? So clearly both of those, those two are false because they are kufr. So this therefore means that Allah is outside of His creation, above His creation. Right? So they brought these rational arguments on the basis of, of these verses in the Quran which establish Allah's ulu. And so these you find in, in the book written by Imam Ahmed, Ar-Raddu ala Zanadika wal Jahmiyyah. And Ibn Taymi mentions them in Bayan, Talbis uh, al-Jahmiyyah, and so on and so forth. So this is clearly uh, negated in the Quran. And this is the second thing negated indirectly. A third thing which is negated is al-zulm. Al-zulm. Allah negates from himself oppression. Al-zulm. And so we see in the Quran um, many rhetorical questions. أَمْ نَجْعَلَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ كَالْمُفْسِدِينَ فِي الْأَرْضِ أَمْ نَجْعَلُ الْمُتَّقِينَ كَالْفُجَّارِ Shall we treat those who believe in the righteous deeds like those who create mischief upon the earth? And shall we treat the muttaqeen, the pious people like the fujjar, the sinful people? Surah Saad 38 verse 28 Rhetorical question, should we treat these to be like these? How is this from justice? This would be unjust. Right? Also another example, Shall we treat, do, do those who commit evil, think that we are going to treat them like those who believe in the righteous deeds, that their life and their death is going to be the same, how evil it is that they judge. Right? Are we going to treat the criminals to be like the Muslimin? How is it that you judge? Can you see through all these rhetorical questions, this is now negating injustice from himself. And Ibn Taymi says, Rahimullah, this is a, like a question which entails a rejection of the one who thinks that or believes that. And it also affirms um, you know, that, which, that which they basically know that Allah, Allah is just and, and, and wise and, and so forth. Meaning the opposite of what is indicated in the, in the rhetorical uh, question. So this is now another method in the Qur'an where Allah makes a negation. Do you think that we'll treat these to be the same as these? How do you judge? No, we will never do that. Right? We are not, uh, 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 do not, we are not unjust. Right? So implying perfect adal in his actions and in his judgments. So this is the tanzi by way of negating imperfection. 
right? So this is done in a specific sense, right? Negating a son, negating daughters as we saw earlier. Likewise, the Yahud, وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودِ يَدُ اللَّهِ مَغْلُولَةِ The Jews said that Allah's hand is tied. Why do they say this? Because they want to say Allah is stingy and greedy. So Allah negated, Allah negated that from Himself. And He threw it back upon them. Right? May their hands be tied. Right? So, so you see that whenever Allah makes a negation of something specific, it is in response to a claim or an allegation which has been made. And all of these examples, or it is like in a general sense. Um, so we're going to finish now with the final, which is the second method of tanzih, which is now the general way or the general method, right? So this we see clearly in the ayat in the Quran: "Laysa kamithlihi shay." Laysa kamithlihi shay. Surah Shura, forty-two, verse eleven. This is now something general. There is nothing like unto him. This is a general negation. Likewise, هَلْ تَعْلَمُ لَهُ Do you know of one who is a namesake with Allah, meaning one who deserves to have the same names as Allah has? Is there anyone who can be named like Allah has? No, there isn't. Right? This is now a general negation as well of having any equal or rival or you know, things like that. Likewise, فَلَا تَضْرِبُوا لِلَّهِ الْأَمْثَالِ فَلَا تَضْرِبُوا لِلَّهِ الْأَمْثَالِ this is Surah An-Nahl, uh, uh, 16, verse 74. Do not make likenesses for Allah. And likewise, وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ There is nothing which is equal or like him. Al-Ikhlas, 112, verse number 4. So, you can see, and likewise the verse, وَلَهُ الْمَثَلُ الْأَعْلَى فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ He has the loftiest example in the heavens and the earth. So, Shaykh uh, Ibn al-Qayyim, he says about this ayah, and we finish with this point now, we finish now, that it is impossible, yastahil and yastarika fil mathal al-a'la ifnan. It is impossible for two to share in having the loftiest example. Right? If Allah says in the Quran, to him belongs the loftiest example, then it is impossible for anyone else to have the loftiest example. Right, because then it can't be it can't be the loftiest example. Two cannot share in the loftiest example. So if you think about this wording, وَلِلَّهِ الْمَثَلُ الْأَعْلَى It is a very uh, precise and apt wording. Right? Because it indicates, as, uh, as, as Ibn al-Qayyim says, that it is impossible then for two to have al-mathal al-a'la. And it is impossible, therefore, by using this word, al-mathal al-a'la, that he has any likeness for him, or he has any equal for him, or any you know, nadir, any, any uh, equal for him. And so this is a definitive evidence for the, for the affirmation of the attributes of perfection for Allah, and the impossibility of there being any tamthil, any resemblance, or any tashbih, or any likeness or resemblance. So think about it, for, uh, to reflect upon it, for indeed it is at the extremity of clarity and strength. Ibn al-Qayyim is saying here in As-Sawaiq al-Mursala that this here, al-mathal al-a'la, if you think about this, this wording and what it conveys, it is an extremely powerful phrase and an argument for establishing that Allah 
There is no likeness for him. There is no equal to him. There is no one who can share this quality for him. To him belongs the loftiest example, which means to him belongs all perfection in all of his names and his attributes. So, this brings us to the end of, of this session on the perfection of Allah by way of appeal to reason in the Quran by way of these two ways. First of all, affirming Allah's kamal and doing this in a number of different ways. First of all, by looking at Allah's actions and secondly, by using analogies. And those analogies are in three different ways. at tafdeel and uh, the Allah putting perfection in someone else then he is more worthy of that perfection. And thirdly, uh, affirming perfection by negating its opposite. Right? So Allah is all living because he never dies. Allah is all seeing because he's not, you know, uh, he's not unheedful and so on and so forth. Um, and thirdly, uh, so that was the um, third thing. And then tanzih, which is purifying Allah of, of, of what is imperfection. This is done in a number of ways. First of all, negating perfection to apply the opposite, which is perfection. And secondly, negating in a general sense. So this is the methodology of the Qur'an. These are the various ways and means that you see in the Qur'an. So once you understand these, next time you read the Qur'an, and you read an ayah, you should be able to figure out and deduce what is happening in this verse. You know, what type of argument now is this appealing to? What's the, what's the reasoning here? Because the Qur'an is an appeal to reason. And his perfection is being indicated by appeal to reason. So I hope all of that is clear to inshallah ta'ala. So this now concludes part number five. We are now left with part number six, which is the final uh, part, which is how does the Quran argue for Tawheed al-Rububiyyah by an appeal to reason? What are the arguments of reason to show that only Allah is worthy of worship and that everything else is a false deity. It doesn't deserve to be worshipped. So that, inshallah ta'ala, we'll continue with in the next lesson, which should be next week, inshallah ta'ala. And with that, we'll conclude our lesson here. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.